Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nothing personal word of the day for April 11th, 2022 is all rise as in Aaron Judge, the outfielder for the New York Yankees. The baseball season started. First weekend of games are in the books and all the talk was about Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Aaron Judge was offered $17 million. He said no. He asked for $21 million in arbitration. The Yankees haven't been to a hearing in six years. They hate going to hearings. They're always willing to compromise. They're always willing to give. But the Yankees said, we got to see if we can sign him. And if you remember during the offseason, all the talk about Correa and the different free agents who the Yankees could sign, and we said the Yankees are keeping their powder dry for Aaron Judge. They already have a $30 million pitcher in Garrett Cole. They have a $30 million position player in Giancarlo Stanton. Side note, he is locked in. Every time he hits the ball, the infielders cringe. And so the question is, who's going to be their next $30 million player? And the Yankees were knowing two, three years ago what their plan was, that they were going to try to get Judge signed. But one of the things during collective bargaining that was a big topic was getting players paid younger and seeing if players could get to free agency at a younger age. Remember, the players wanted free agency at 29 or 29 and a half. And one of the players that they had in mind was Aaron Judge because he's 30 years old. And when you sign a free agent at 30, in the old days, no problem. You get 10 years, you pay till you're 40, you get five years of good production, the other five are on the house, everyone's happy. Then time went on and owners realized, wow, these contracts are albatrosses around our neck. They're terrible. We've got Robinson Cano and he stinks without steroids. So these deals into the late 30s are just not happening anymore. So the players have to adjust. One of the ways players are adjusting is they're signing guaranteed contracts earlier in their career. So you're seeing a lot every day. There's a new announcement about a young player who's signing a six-year deal, a seven-year deal, an eight-year deal. Eat Carlos Correa, a young free agent, signs a two- or three-year deal because he's not getting the long-term that he wanted. I mean, I'm thinking back to Cabrera, who signed into his late 30s, where the Tigers are upset. I'm thinking about Pujols, who signed, and now he was released and playing for the Cardinals. I'm thinking about Seager, who did get money. Machado got money. But most teams are going to be a little more prudent. 
So the Yankees start negotiating with Aaron Judge, and it was a fascinating negotiation because Aaron Judge said, and this is what players are doing now more than ever, and I don't quite get it. I'm only going to negotiate until opening day. After that, I don't want the distraction. They're about five years late to that party. We did not negotiate with our free agents during the course of the season, not because it was a distraction to the player doing the negotiating, because of course it's agents, not players. We didn't want to negotiate during the season because of clubhouse politics. Every player is aware when a teammate is negotiating a contract. Every player is aware when a teammate signs a contract. There is, like in all offices, the clubhouse is just an office, there is jealousy, there is politicking, there is snipping, there's water cooler rumor mongering. And when you run a team, the last thing you want is to add any fuel to what becomes a fire inside a clubhouse during the course of a season either way. We hear about it once in a while with players arguing. Sometimes it spills onto the bench, like with the Heat, or into the dugout, like with the Reds and Lou Pinella and Rob Dibble. It, things just happen. So our view was, Knowing that there's going to be arguments, we're not going to add another conversation because there's other players who would say, wow, Aaron Judge, he's hurt all the time. If he's going to get his money, then I'm going to want that money. I'm going to want more money. Or other players around the league are going to be chirping in his ears saying, you've got to get more. The union gets involved, pressuring players not to sign, pressuring players to sign if it seems like an overmarket deal. So there's all sorts of things going on. So we never wanted to negotiate during the course of a season. Aaron Judge said, hey, I'm done. There's a deadline of opening day. Of course, opening day got delayed by, was it a rainout coca? Did they get delayed by a, an hour or by a day? I think they got delayed by a day, by one day. And so people were saying, oh, maybe that's because Aaron Judge is still negotiating, or maybe it's because of the weather. However, it gives the Yankees an extra day to negotiate. Here's a little news alert. The Yankees and Aaron Judge knew they were not going to get an extension done way before opening day got rained out last Thursday. And the reason they knew is that Aaron Judge, for whatever reason, believes that he could get a 10-year deal and he wanted to set the record for average annual value for a player. He wanted trout money. He wanted, let's say, $360 million over 10 years. Okay, that's possible. He's not going to get that from any team. But for whatever reason, his view was, I'm not going to judge. Wow, that's a pun that I truly did not intend. I'm not going to judge what Aaron Judge thinks he deserves. I never got upset with players. I tried to educate them. It's harder than you think. And the reason it's harder than you think is that the players have the agents in their ear. They've got their teammates in their ear. They have the union in their ear. They've got the past as what they think is indicative of the present and the future. So Aaron Judge at 30 thinking that a 10-year deal is possible is not out of the realm if this were the 2010 to 2015 range. Even Manny Machado, as I told you, got 10. The difference is Aaron Judge is what we consider in the front office as 
It's not that he's a prospect. It's not that he has high upside. We know exactly who he is and what he is. And that's both for better and for worse. Aaron Judge is a player who, when he's on the field, performs, except he's not on the field on a consistent basis. If you take a look at his past, you'd be able to surmise, let's just say that you think it's going to get better, but you do the math and say he's probably only good for 75% of the games. And if he's going to miss a month a season, let's just say he misses 30 games a year, and in a 10-year deal, the last three years, he's not going to be the player who he is now. He's going to fall off a cliff the way all older players do. Then his $36 million a year for 10 years is really somewhere in the 40s, $45, $48 million for 10 years. And at that point, that is just not acceptable. So the Yankees countered with what I consider to be an absolute overpay. He was offered... $30.5 million a year for seven years after this year's arbitration. On top of that, the Yankees, instead of the $17 million, there's some rumors about this because this year they want to pay him $17. He wants to get paid $21. Let's say they agreed to pay him $20 this year. So he'd get $30.5 times seven plus another $17 or $18 or $19 or $20 or $21. The reason why I thought that was a fair deal is you're paying him till he's 37 years old. You are giving him an AAV that that gets him in his free agent years slightly below Stanton. Stanton in his free agent years, the contract that we signed him for, I believe some of the years are 30, as I recall. Some are 31. There's a 32 sprinkled in there. So you're basically saying that Judge is Stanton, which is what he is. But the interesting part of this whole negotiation was that Brian Cashman, before the season started, for the first time that I can remember, told the public exactly what the offer was. Now, why do you tell your GM to go public with the offer when all you had to do was leak it? There is not one reason. Now, the Yankees from Randy Levine and Hal Steinbrenner said, hey, let's just make sure the public is very aware of what the offer was because I believe we're going to be on the right side of the PR of this because when negotiations were happening, Yankee fans were all saying, you've got to keep judge, you've got to keep judge. Then they found out it was $213 million over seven years and the Yankee fans were saying, wow, I can't believe judge didn't take that. But you get that same impact by leaking what you offered and then when asked by a reporter on the record you can say you know we don't comment on these contracts then off the record you say that's what it was then the media member writes sources tell us that was the exact offer and the public reads that as true And Aaron Judge is not going to go out and say, no, they didn't offer me anything close to that because he knows the truth. And then the Yankees could go on the record. So when you are not lying, when you give something to the media, you always have the advantage because if players go out and say, no, that's not true, or agents say that's not true, then you have the ability to not just go on the record with the deal, but the way deals are done. And the way negotiations happen, you don't actually sit across a table and say, here, how about 190 over 6? No, I want 360 over 10. All right, how about 200 over 6? No, I want 350 over 10. It's actually written deals that are given back and forth to the agent. 
So you submit a written offer to the agent. We are sending you an official offer that is signed by the general manager for a seven-year deal for $200 million. Then the agent responds, and if they respond orally by saying no, we generally will not counter that. We will counter a written offer in response where an agent sends to the team, we want $360 million over 10, and we will agree to it, plus the following bonus provisions, et cetera, signed Aaron Judge and his agent. So there is a paper trail to all this. So that's why there's no need to ever put your name the way Brian Cashman did or to do a press release, uh, excuse me, a actual press avail with what your offer was because the risk in doing that is that you then have to go down and face Judge and explain to him the reason why you did it, even though Judge will be told the reason why they did it is because they wanted fans to be angry with you instead of them. So what exactly is the upside for the Yankees of doing that? So meanwhile, it's happened. Yankee fans want to know what's happening, but I'll tell you, Aaron Judge is betting on himself and he's going to win. Aaron Judge, after turning it down, said, I'm going to talk to 30 teams. I'm excited to be a free agent. I smiled, of course, because that's what agents do. They tell their player, oh, we crawled under every rock. Scott Boris says, I even called the Minnesota Twins about you, Carlos. Oh, my God, the Twins are a possible player. I know you only got to take three years, but we'll get you the opt-out. But I spoke to everyone. So here's how the call would go when Aaron Judge calls the Cleveland Guardians. Hey, any interest in Judge? Hell yeah. So we're looking around 360 over 10. Hello? Hello? Anybody there? All right, that's one down. Hey, Kansas City, it's Aaron. We're looking for about 360 over 10. You in? Oh, you know, we're in for 45 over one. All right, we'll get back to you. Hey, that's two teams. Come on, Aaron. You don't have 30 teams looking at you. What are you going to do, a Carla Palooza? GTS, if you don't know what that was. So I'll give you a wait to see about Aaron Judge. He's going to get more than $213.5 million. Wait to see. That's when we tell you something's going to happen. If it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, okay. Either way, we're going to revisit it. And the reason we revisit it, as you've heard me say, and I will not get tired of saying it because you don't get tired of hearing it, Everyone else, such gas bags, right? They give you all these hot takes. They never revisit them. Well, I revisit it. Aaron Judge will get more than $213.5 million in free agency. He is going to win this bet. Did you watch the Masters, Coca? You know, Tiger Woods, CBS was all excited, right? He made the cut. That was critical. I had to wait to see on that. On April 8th, we told you Tiger would make the cut. That was a yes. So he made the cut and then realized, wow, I'm tired and my leg hurts and the weather's bad. So he ended up not being in the race. I said, wait to see he's going to finish in the top 20. He didn't. I should have had it the other way. He won't finish in the top 20, but it's still a major win for Tiger. It's a major win for the PGA, for Augusta, for everyone in golf. What an absolute, unbelievably heroic job by Tiger to get himself back. All right, the wait to see for today. How about Frank Vogel? On October 25th, it's not for today. Today's wait to see is Aaron Judge. All right, Coco, you want to get rid of that? Wipe it. Six. Nine, nine.
On October 25th, I told you Frank Vogel was done in L.A. On October 25th, I said it. Guess what? The Lakers didn't make the playoffs. If you weren't sleeping last night, which I wasn't, I was watching Severance at 2 a.m. I only have one and a half episodes left, so I get to review that tomorrow. So if you haven't watched it, watch it. I said Frank Vogel's done in L.A. Yes, he is. He's going to get fired today. Sources say Frank Vogel's done in L.A. I had to wait to see last week, I think, that Westbrook and Anthony and Vogel are gone. That's still pending. But the one from October 25th that Frank Vogel's done, he won a title. He only coached him for three years. I wonder if LeBron said, you know, I don't like Frankie. It's not my fault. That's why the coach is gone. LeBron is acting like a GM. Of course the coach gets fired when the team stinks, even though the GM's the one who chose the players. GM's not going to fire himself. You think LeBron's going to say, man, I screwed it up. Shouldn't have had Russ here. Should have had Rose. And I should have listened to Magic. Okay. All right. On a serious note, let's talk about Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, passed away this weekend, struck by a car on 595, which is a highway that goes east-west in Fort Lauderdale. It's the highway that goes from, it's really, if you think about it, it's the Everglades, it's the Alligator Alley, which they call 75, but if you keep taking Alligator Alley, and instead of going south when you hit western Florida, you keep going east on Alligator Alley, which goes west to east and east to west, you end up going all the way to the water and it highway becomes 595. So that's the highway that I took every day when I lived in Florida, both to get to Pro Player Stadium and then to Marlins Park. To get to downtown Fort Lauderdale, you take 595 east from where I was. To get to Weston or Point South, you take 595 west. It is an absolute six-lane full highway. And Dwayne Haskins was outside of his car. He was walking, trying to cross the highway, got struck by a dump truck, and tragically passed away at 24. When you get news that a player dies and you are in the media, you have to think to yourself that you have to report it. But I've got to be careful how I report it. Do I want to report it? The answer is yes. I've got 9 million followers. I have no choice but to report it. But am I reporting the fact that he's dead? Am I starting his obituary in 280 characters? What's my plan? And when you've got a platform as big as Adam Schefter has, and you've got a fancy new deal with ESPN as big as Adam Schefter has, in theory, the reason he's being paid all that money and the reason why so many of you follow him is that you want information from him. He is a breaking news guy. He's got sources within all of the NFL and the league and the players and the teams. He gives you transactions as they're happening, before they're happening, always sourced. So he tweeted about the death of Dwayne Haskins. And in the tweet, he mentioned that Haskins had struggled as a pro, never reached his potential, struggled, whatever his words were. And he then deleted that tweet Somebody screenshotted it, and Adam Schefter has been absolutely crushed since then. Gil Brandt is a 90-year-old Hall of Fame former executive who gave an interview about Dwayne Haskins and said in the interview, the way he was acting, it's as though he knew he was going to die or it was only a matter of time until he was going to die. And Gil Brandt had to come out with an apology 
not delete the interview. He can never delete it the way Schefter deleted his tweet, but had to come out and say that was inappropriate and I want to apologize to his family and to his fans around the world. And it got me thinking, what do we count on with for you? What do you count on from your sources, from your followers, from the people you follow? Insiders, NFL insiders. What do you count on? What information do you want? Because often people in the media get confused because their job is to give you what you want. But sometimes, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, because I'm not a breaking news person, I'm not a reporter, that's not what I do on Twitter. What I actually do is comment on things that both interest me and then hopefully interest you, but mostly interest me, which is why Coca gets angry sometimes because I'll tweet something that he doesn't like or thinks it's not necessary for me to tweet, but it's something that I want my opinion to be known on a subject that interests me. Whether or not you agree with me, whether or not you wanna read it, you have the right to press unfollow or to press follow or just to scroll past it. But I take every tweet seriously, which means I I still make mistakes, but the seriousness in which I take it is related to the platform. And the platform is something that I've talked about on this show and the responsibility that comes with the platform. Adam Schefter has a huge platform and with it is responsibility, which doesn't mean he has to be right every time he tweets about a source because he's wrong plenty of times. But when you're starting to talk about death, it's a matter of opinion, not fact, opinion as to what people want to hear as it relates to the player who has passed away. Do they want a simple tweet, Dwayne Haskins was killed today in a car crash, rest in peace? Or do they want to know something about Dwayne Haskins? Dwayne Haskins, 24, passed away. Do they want to know more? Dwayne Haskins married father recently signed with the Steelers passed away or do they want to know something deeper Dwayne Haskins former Ohio State top 15 pick in the draft passed away how about one level deeper and that's where Adam went he said Dwayne Haskins and then went on to talk about his career which by all measures were he to still be alive, it would not be a reach to say that Dwayne Haskins has not reached the potential that people thought he would reach coming out of college. But is that the time and place to say it? We've had conversations about obituaries on this show. We've talked about obit moments. I talk to the players about obit moments often. I talk to family about that. When something major happens to a public figure, people often say, hey, we're going to hear about that again, whether it's in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 70 years, whenever that person passes away. It's an obit moment. It is a fact that Dwayne Haskins' career was what it was. That's indisputable. If you read a full obituary in a newspaper about Dwayne Haskins that did not address his career, you would say that's probably not a complete obituary. 
So why are the rules different on Twitter? Are the rules different because it's so soon? Or are they different because the audience who reads tweets assumes that people are tweeting to be first before they need to be accurate? So Coca and I were discussing this segment and he pointed out that in his mind, Twitter is not where obituaries happen. When you are breaking news about something, that's not an obituary. There's no way to argue that point. Except maybe all the rules have changed. Maybe the days of going through the newspaper the day after and looking to see who's got the little inch obituary in the New York Times versus who's got the bigger one column obituary versus who's got the bigger multi-column, multi-inch obituary, who's got the above the fold obituary, who's got the below the fold blank dies with three lines in small font and then the page on which to find it. So there is a hierarchy of obituaries in newspapers, and that comes with editorial discussion. Decisions are made. There is time to contemplate the rawness of it. It is not breaking news today. Of course, back in the day, when you saw an obituary in the newspaper, it was breaking news because it's in theory, if someone died and you weren't watching the news, there was no internet, you would find out only through the newspaper. But today, that's not the case at all. Today, everyone who reads an obituary of someone famous who has died already knows that person has died. So what I said to Coca and what I believe is that while a tweet is not a newspaper obituary, the reality is it is an obituary nonetheless. It just comes in 280 characters. And while people thought it was too soon, it was too raw, it was too inappropriate, can you see it from his standpoint? Because the breaking news was that he died But the reality is people look to Schefter, they look to people in the business, they will look to read an obituary to get a semi-complete picture into the man, into the life. And if you only have 280 characters, you have to decide what comes first, what is the most important. And that's where the argument is that people should be having. Ironically, he deleted the tweet after it became a thing. He then released another tweet, which left out any part of his career and focused more on him being a person who tragically died. But the fact is we've made athletes commodities now, all of us, everyone in the media, you as fans. How about people who play fantasy? How about people who gamble? Are you focused on a player's personal life or how many points that player can give you during the course of a weekend? People who gamble, are you focused on the player's personal out personality? Are you focused on whether he's got mental health issues, physical health issues? No, you're focused on whether or not he completed a third down pass on a drive that you needed in order to cover the spread. So I think it is very disingenuous for people to say, hey, these are human beings. We got to care. 
we have to go after Adam Schefter. Believe me, I'm no fan of Adam. I don't know Adam. I don't use him for breaking news. I'm not in competition with him. But we're the ones, as fans, who demand that athletes be commoditized. It's what we do. The rest of you were piling Adam Schefter because you said, hey, this is who he is now. He's become someone who has to keep apologizing for his tweets, who has inappropriate tweets. Remember the whole Deshaun Watson thing? He did a tweet about Deshaun Watson, and then he apologized. He deleted the tweet. Then he sent another tweet, and he was trying to explain why he tweeted what he tweeted. None of that mattered. I just want you, when you're criticizing somebody, it doesn't matter whether you're in high school, whether you're in college. It doesn't matter to me. When you are throwing stones, you know the expression, be very careful if you live in a glass house. I'm just curious, how many of you don't live in a glass house? When we come back, we're going to review euphoria, and we're going to talk about something that's going on in Boston regarding the marathon. It's going to blow your mind, actually. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Hope you had a great weekend. It was something. I appreciate that you rate, review, follow, all the things that you do. Tell your friends about Nothing Personal. We're here for you every day. I had a crappy weekend. A little, uh, a little off, the, uh, off the show here, Coca. I want to tell people what happened to me this weekend. Uh, I did not tweet about this. I did not send a picture about it. When I was a kid, I loved the sun 
and my mother always said, wear, you got to wear sunscreen. And when I was a parent, I put sunscreen on my kids. And I was always told, you got to be careful. You don't want to ever get skin cancer. And the sun will give you skin cancer. Look, you're fair-skinned, although anybody can get skin cancer. You can be black and get skin cancer. It doesn't matter. You can be pale. You can be a ginger. So I had a, uh, a spot on my chest, and it was cancer. And I just found out about it. And the problem is that cancer is always something that happens to someone else, even when it hits close to your family. My sister, who passed away from cancer, also had skin cancer. There's many people who have it. And to me, it was never me. I've got spots, sunspots on my body. I love the sun. I lived in Florida, for crying out loud. I run, and everyone says, wear sunscreen. I never would wear sunscreen because it would get in my eyes, although that doesn't excuse not wearing it on my body but that's another story. I liked how I looked tan like people do. I didn't want to do the spray tan or the fake tan. And I looked at myself because I go to a dermatologist every year, but I look at myself every day because that's what you're supposed to do. And frankly, I'm fine with that. And I noticed a spot on my chest and I went to have it looked at and the dermatologist looked immediately and said, we're going to biopsy it right now, but it's 90% cancer. And I said, well, what you're saying is 10%. It's not cancer. I got the call on Wednesday that it was cancer. And she said, come in right now. We're going to, we have to get in there and get rid of it. And I said, but I'm running the Boston Marathon in a week. And she said, hey, it's up to you. But once you have this surgery, because you need surgery, you can't run for two weeks. But if you want to wait till after the Boston Marathon, wait, but I'm telling you not to wait. And I said, all right, I'm going to wait. I went to bed Wednesday night. We did the show Thursday and I was putting the show together Wednesday night and I was thinking about how much I love doing nothing personal and I love living. And I said, what am I doing? I've run 25 marathons. I wanna be there for Boston, but I gotta get this taken care of. So I called the next day and they fit me in and I got it done. And I've got a, what will be a scar. It was a two inch cut, 0.75 inches deep. They showed it to me while they were doing it cause they just numb it. And I basically had a hole in my chest and uh, I guess I would just say this, wear sunscreen because you have to. And by the way, get your body checked out by a dermatologist. So my, my, my weekend was spent sulking. I was sulking that I had skin cancer. They got it all apparently, but still you hear the word cancer and all of a sudden your mind wanders. So basically I spent the weekend in bed watching content I didn't do anything. I canceled all my plans, and I basically sulked. I knew I couldn't sulk on Monday, but I guess if I didn't have a show today, Coca, I'd still be sulking today. Not that anyone should feel sorry for me because I did it to myself. But that said, I watched the entire two seasons of Euphoria, and it was not exactly uplifting. And here's why. I had heard about Euphoria. I heard it was about a bunch of high school kids and that everyone gets naked. That was the scouting report I got about it. I knew Zendaya was in it, and I knew that Sydney uh, Coca, I was about to say Steel, but it's not. Sydney Sweeney was in it, and I knew that the guy from Grey's Anatomy was in it. He used to be married to Rebecca Gayhart, or is still married, Gephardt, the one for whatever. Eric Dane is his name. I can't remember who he's married to or what she was in, but I think it's Rebecca Gephardt. Not from the Americans, because she's married to the guy who was in the Americans. She was in another TV show. Anyway, who cares? So I'm watching all 16 episodes. So here's what Euphoria is about. 
It is about kids in high school who some are gay, some are trans, some are straight. There is sex, there is drugs. There's not one minute about studying. There's not one minute about anything other than complete insanity. And it was a train wreck that I couldn't stop watching. But the entire time that I'm watching Euphoria, I was thinking to myself, I cannot believe that I wanted to have and had kids. Now, my kids who don't listen to this show, I have three kids. They may listen to this show. Their friends who listen may call them and say this. Your dad said he didn't want kids. I'm not saying I did or didn't want kids. But either way, you know how much I love you. You know how much I'll always take care of you. But the worry, if you had been like these kids, I don't know what I would have done. And then I was thinking, what if you are like these kids? Because the parents had no idea, because they're all clueless. I thought my parents didn't know anything about what I was doing. And my big thing, what, I would sneak out of the house after curfew and smoke a J? Like, that was the big thing? But the kids in Euphoria, I mean, we're talking about acts that are so unbelievable using the internet, using needles, the bullying that goes on, the violence. And it's not just some of the characters, it's all of the characters. So I just want to say to my three kids, thank you for not being that way. And if you are that way, thank you for making it so that I have no idea that you're that way because I don't, I wouldn't be able to handle it. Being a parent is the hardest thing in the world. You're only as happy as your least happy child. The minute you have a child, you will only be as happy as your least happy child for the rest of your life. You want to do anything and everything to stop your child from having any adversity. You want to protect them from ever having a problem. You want to do anything you can at all times for your kids. And then there's a TV show that all of the kids are watching that normalizes behavior that is so outrageous, so destructive that it's got to be on the margins, right? But then you talk to more people and they say, well, wait a minute, high school is sort of like that now. And I say, holy crikeys, how is anyone going to survive? So to high school students listening, don't do what they do in euphoria. To parents who are listening, pray to God that your kids don't do what they do in euphoria. And to the showrunner, I get what you were doing. I understand why it won awards, because it's well done. I understand all the gratuitous nudity. By the way, there are more, there's more male frontal nudity. It's got it. I am hoping it's prosthetics, is all I can say. Both ways. By the way, I never heard the word micropenis until euphoria. Didn't know what it was. And there's also got to be prosthetics on the upside as well. Both downside and upside. So my suggestion to you is to watch Euphoria. And if you've got kids in high school, make sure you're talking to them about it. Make sure you're paying attention to any signs that could exist that would indicate your kids are in crisis because all of these kids are in crisis. And yes, I will be watching season three. All right, the Boston Marathon is coming up. The one that I'm not running, I'm still gonna go to Boston and cheer on the runners so despondent but it was the right decision i'm not going to get out of shape coca as soon as this two-week period is done i'm going to get back to training 
We're not ready to tell folks what I'm training for, but I've got something in mind. It's sort of crazy, but I'm not ready to talk about it. Because once I talk about it, you know I have to do it. But the Boston Marathon, the race director is a, a man named Dave McGilvery. But the Boston Marathon is put on by a company called the BAA, which is the Boston Athletic Association. The BAA made an announcement that they were rescinding offers to 63 members, to 63 runners of the marathon, which is coming next Monday on Patriots Day. Those 63 runners are those who live in either Russia or Belarus. And the BAA gave a quote saying, basically that we're doing this because we believe that we have to stand, right? We have to stand with the Ukraine people. So they thought that they would prohibit runners from Russia and Belarus. Now, if you're Russian and live in Boston, you're good. That's sort of like people saying, hey, we're angry with China, but make sure you don't take it out on your local Chinese restaurant. I get that, and I agree with that. But just out of curiosity, the 63 runners who live in Russia and Belarus, how do you know what their view is of the war? Maybe they're anti-Putin, but they can't say anything. Maybe they're pro. There are people in public, all the Russian oligarchs, the ones who are getting their yachts and teams taken away, who are profiting from the war, who have been in support of Putin. We've got issues with athletes who have supported Putin in the past, including the guy for the Capitals, Ovechkin, where it is clear that they're in support and they get to play. Russian athletes get to go to the Olympics even though there was doping. They just can't hear their anthem or wear their flag or be called Russians. They have to be called the Russian Olympic Committee or something. So the BAA said, we're going to die on this hill. We are going to make an example of these 63 runners. And we think that will draw positive attention to us and to the plight of Ukrainians who are being killed as part of this war. And I've got a very different view. How is it that you can blame citizens for what their government is doing when their government has not been, in theory, democratically elected? I've got enough problem being blamed for a society that's going to elect Trump. Does that mean if I voted for Trump that I am automatically should be punished? But if I didn't vote for Trump, that means that I'm okay. Or am I the baby who is swept away with the bathwater. How do you differentiate? In America, I could argue we've got a full democracy where maybe if you're going to punish people, you can actually figure out who people voted for and then say, hey, are you going to do that again? Because if you're going to do that again, then we're going to stop you from doing X, Y, or Z. But what about people in a government where if they say anything, they're going to get killed? Now, you could say in America, people get killed all the time for what their views are, for standing up for their views. If you can't differentiate between Russia and America, then hit pause. I need the retention or just lower the volume and keep listening to the rest of the show. We only have a few minutes left. But I think that we've all taken this too far. I am not willing 
under any circumstance to punish citizens of a country for the act of its government. I am willing to figure out a way to get rid of that government. I'm willing to go to the support of the governments and people who are being attacked by that government. But the citizens in Russia who have as much say about what Putin does as I do in whether or not Aaron Judge gets signed by the Yankees. I just don't see where you're going. Are you doing it for PR? If you're the Boston Athletic Association? Are you saying that we've got to be on the right side of history? So we've got to look like we are in favor of the Ukrainian people. We've got to look like we're taking a stand. And then we've got to only do what we can do. And all we can do is this, not let runners go. I got a better idea if you're the BAA. You got the Boston Marathon going. What are the colors often used in the Boston Marathon? They look a lot like the Ukrainian flag, don't they? How about doing something like a moment of silence before the race? How about putting a patch on everybody's bib that says we stand with Ukraine or we are united with Ukraine or we are anti-Putin? But do you think that calling out people and subjecting them, how about the fact that with COVID, we had a president who basically made it okay that if you're Asian, you should get the crap beaten out of you. Because somehow you had something to do with COVID coming to the U.S. because it may have started in China. Think about how asinine that is. Are you one of the people who is prejudiced against Asians because of COVID or any other reason? Are you prejudiced against Chinese people here in the U.S. because of China? By the way, are you going to watch the World Cup? Shame on you, BAA. Nothing personal pick of the day. We went 2-1 and one over the weekend. We told you Manaya would have quite a debut for the Padres, and did he ever. He was taken out with a no-hitter. Padres beat the Diamondbacks. That's a win. Carlos Rodon had his debut for the Giants on Saturday. We said he'd beat the Marlins. I was close. Rodon had one hell of a debut, but the Marlins won that game. That's a loss. And then last night, did you watch that game? Well, the Red Sox beat the Yankees just as I said they would. So we went 2-1. and one. We are 42-33. and 33. A couple of things happened that I wanted to note with the Yankees. First of all, we talked about Judge. We talked about how hot Stanton is. I wanted to take a minute here, if you don't mind, and mention what Garrett Cole said before, the, uh, before his game or after his game. I read about it this weekend, and it made me laugh because I had to clarify it for you. Garrett Cole pitched opening day. He got shelled in the first inning, and he claimed that his whole routine was off. He wasn't ready to pitch because, wait for it, the pregame festivities went four minutes longer than the scheduled first pitch, and he was totally thrown off his routine. Well, here's how it works, opening day. Do you know when you are changing the time of your first pitch, you have to get approval from the commissioner's office? You have to send the timeline for your pregame ceremony to the commissioner's office and the opposing team so that everybody knows exactly what you're doing. And the timeline isn't just general. It goes by minute. The anthem will be from 1255 to 1258. Lineups, please be ready for lineups, will be from 1259 to 104. 
Then there'll be a flyover from 104 to 10520. That sort of detail. Players take the field at 106.30. First pitch, 107. Players use that timeline to judge when to start their routines, their pregame routines. But there are people who work for the team in the clubhouse, coaches included, who are looking at the timeline and they're looking at the reality and they're saying, ooh, we were supposed to have the anthem at 12.56. It's now one o'clock. We are running four minutes behind. It doesn't just happen. It's not just a surprise. And by the way, even if it were, you're telling me, does that mean that if Garrett Cole is pitching the bottom of an inning, right, and then in the top of the inning he has to sit because there's a long rally, is his whole mojo thrown off? What an excuse maker. When you're making $30 million a year, if the anthem goes 45 seconds over, deal with it. All right, the pick today is the Tampa Bay Rays, the only undefeated team in Major League Baseball. They are going to continue to be undefeated. They're playing the A's. I do have a correction that I have to make. During a show last week, I said that Wander Franco, and it was during a side, I think I was off the rails at that moment. I said Wander Franco was eligible for Rookie of the Year for a second year in a row. He is not. That's a correction. But the Rays over the A's, The Rays are pitching a great young pitcher. If you can watch him, check him out. His name is Luis Patino. He's one of the guys they got in the Blake Snell trade. May I remind all teams out there before we go, do not make trades with the Tampa Bay Rays. Are we clear? You're not going to win the trade. Rays over A's. They know better than most. It's just business. This is nothing personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.